0: Well, thanks for being here. My name is John. I serve as the pastor of Citygate Church. We uh, uh, would probably be considered a church plant still. We just celebrated our two-year birthday yet last week. Was it last week? Yeah, we, I forgot because we handed out 50 pounds of candy and I've been recouping from that all week. Uh, last, last week was our 104th Sunday, so we're excited for the next season of what God has for us. Um, if this is your first Sunday, every Sunday is someone's first Sunday at this church. And so in the seat back in front of you... Well, we call it a seat pack. it's a plastic pouch. Um, it's a thank you for joining us card. You can actually exchange this on your way out for a free gift. We just love some simple information, and we want to say thank you for just taking your Sunday and spending it with us. We know there's many barriers to coming into church, and so our, our goal is to remove those barriers so we, can produce, uh, so we can introduce you to Jesus, rather. So think about filling that card out um, throughout the service, and we'd love to connect with you in the future. So uh, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, open to the letter of James. If you don't have a Bible, there are like various Bible apps you can download and use. Uh, I read from the ESV Bible app. That's a free one. If you don't have an app, you don't have a Bible, the Bible in the sky behind me is going to take care of all of your needs. So that's where you can follow along with us. Well, it's been said that your relationships will dictate your future. It's actually sort of a theme that we've been talking about from the book we've been learning your relationships will dictate your future your relationships uh, has the power to dictate the course of your life and this is a simple truth yet one we often forget and all of us here have different types of relationships there's different level of relationships we we may have a husband or a wife or that special guy or that special girl and those who we wish to be that special guy or special girl <laughs> We have relationships with our children, with our co-workers, our parents, our grandparents. Think about all the different types and kinds of relationships that you have. Even our neighbors. We have relationships with our neighbors and those who we wish were not our neighbors. Yeah, don't read into that if you live near me. Uh, Sorry, Sturmers. Um, Regardless of how many types of relationships you have, one thing is true. That in each one of those relationships, uh, we kind of hold the power to dictate the course of your life. Uh, They'll do one of two things. One, they will either encourage healthy decision-making, which will lead to maturity. Or, or they will encourage unhealthy decision-making, which will result in immaturity. Well, this morning, it comes time to evaluate a different type of relationship. We tend to think of relationships as between humans or your animals or something like that. But uh, this is a different type of relationship that the letter of James asks us to evaluate. We've been in the letter of James now for 12 weeks. And this letter, which is written by the kid brother of Jesus, has taken us through a journey. We've been encouraged to look within ourselves and then determine whether we live out our days, relying on our own wisdom, or live out our days relying on God's wisdom. The majority of this letter has focused on how we are to relate to one another, and then how God relates to us. We have learned valuable bits of wisdom in how we speak to one another, how we treat one another. And also we've learned by how God's grace it is possible, it is absolutely possible to live a life of joy even in the midst of pain. This book, we call it the Practical Book of Wisdom, has pointed us towards the one person over and over again. Every week, we're pointed towards the one person who has the power to transform our life today, as well as secure our eternal life to come. That person is Jesus. Today's message is all about relationships, and as we have read, James is asking us to evaluate one particular relationship, one specific relationship. So look at me at chapter 4 of James. We're going to read that together. James chapter 4. I'm going to read 12 verses. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that has made us to dwell in us? That he has made us to dwell in us. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse cleanse your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. This is the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one law giver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Twelve verses, we're going to, um, I'm not going to go verse by verse, we're going to uh, ba- basically, divide this up into two main ideas this morning. James is going to ask us to evaluate one specific type of relationship in which we are all in. He warns us that our relationship with the world is what causes quarrels and fights and murder and jealousy and envy and ungratefulness and most certainly bitterness. See, we're not here to talk about the relationship you have with one another, your spouse that special someone or your coworker, we're here to evaluate and then determine what we do with our relationship to the world. It's a really hard thing to think about. We're going to be challenged this morning. My, my prayer all week has been that you'd be challenged, that you'd be corrected, and that you'd leave here encouraged. You guys want that? Yeah. Yes, good. All right, we're here. So here's a big idea this morning. Let me give you a, a big idea to cover everything. Here it is. If you are a friend with this world, you are an enemy of God. Harsh language. It's a little tough. If you are a friend of this world, you are an enemy of God. Allow me to take you through what the Bible would say about becoming a friend of the world, as well as an enemy of God. So what does it mean to be a friend of the world? And all of us right now should be asking that question. If if I'm an enemy of God because I am a friend of the world, what does it look like? I know what it looks like to have friends and have relationships, but specifically, what does it mean to be a friend of the world? For sake of time, I'm just going to share two verses from a letter called 1 John. It's towards the right side of your Bible, way over here. It says this, for all that is in the world, okay, think of the world as you know it, the spinning globe you're on. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from this world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. For all that is in the world, desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from God, but it is from the world. You know, each week we gather like this to learn from what the Bible says, and I am reminded just how accurate the Bible is about my life. I won't speak for you, I'll just speak for me. Can I do that? I am blown away by how accurate the Bible is about who God is and who I am. It's actually a joy to come every week and re- be reminded that I am not my own God, that I am not the master of my own life. It's actually one of the reasons why I believe what the Bible says is true. It's one of the reasons why I believe the Christian message is ultimately true, it is because when you read the Bible, it is very accurate to describe you and to describe God. The world is a place where pride and selfishness are encouraged, where lawlessness and chaos are fueled by the dark desires of people and where self-destruction is always the end goal. To sum up our definition of the world, it is a place where the pursuit of pleasure, we're going to to use that phrase a lot today, where the pursuit of pleasure takes center stage, pushing reason, morality, civility, and holiness off to the sides. In our pursuit of pleasures, we often push reason, morality, civility, and holiness off to the side. James says, if you're a friend of this world, you are an enemy of God. If your life is characterized that's how he starts out. If your life is characterized by quarrels and bitterness and anger and murderous actions or thoughts and selfish motivations and jealousy, you have a very intimate, close relationship with the world. And at the foundation of that relationship, it is the pursuit of pleasures gone wrong. It in 1932, a man named Aldous Huxley wrote a book. Maybe you know this book. It's called A Brave New World. A Brave New World is a book that describes what he would describe as a, a, the 20th century world. He wrote this a long time ago, and it describes this perfectly. A world preoccupied with pleasure, and so preoccupied with pleasure that people are fully controlled by invented pleasure-giving technologies. He wrote that book a long time ago. It's hard to admit it, but he was right. Collectively, we spend billions of dollars and waste countless hours pursuing pleasures because we think it is the sole purpose for living. And if that were not bad enough, the tragedy of all tragedies, and speaking about us as the church, the people who are following Jesus, if that we're not bad enough, our pleasure-seeking obsession has affected the church. Our pleasure-seeking obsession has affected God's people. That's because everyone's welcome here, but no one's perfect. Amen? You should be happy that you're sitting around people that are far more wicked than you. <laughs> you know? You can trade those stories later. You don't need to do it now. But that's why we started this church, just so you're aware. Everyone's welcome. No one's perfect. We understand that. There's one perfect person. His name was Jesus. That's not you. But this pleasure-seeking obsession with our world has really infiltrated the church. We need to be on guard with this. And and here's how we know. Because if I say Christianity kind of as a whole, okay, meaning uh, the life dedicated to following Jesus and obeying his commandments, Christianity, is too often portrayed as the source and the key to a successful life. That's how it's taught, that's how it's pushed. That's what we've shipped off to other countries through missionaries. And for many around the world, following Jesus has nothing to do with denying yourself. So we may become more like him, but instead it has taught, has been taught far too long that living a life of dedication to Jesus is everything. It has everything to do with feeding our natural yet unhealthy, sinful desire to become better versions of ourselves. I don't want you to become a better version of yourself. I want you to become like Jesus. I don't want you to walk out of here this morning committed to becoming a better version of yourself. I don't want you to walk out of here excited and encouraged and committed. Ooh, I said that wrong. I actually want you to be excited, encouraged, and committed to becoming more like Jesus. That would have been confusing. Maybe you're here today and this is all new for you. Uh, Maybe your friend dragged you to church. We love dragging people to church just so you're aware. That's okay. It's a good thing. Let me share the essence of the Christian message. I want to share with you what this entire book is about. It's not about, it's all about self-denial, not self-fulfillment. At the core of the Christian walk. At the core of your faith journey that you're walking with, at the, at the core of following Jesus, it's actually about denying what you think you first want and embracing what Jesus has done for you and what he has for you. Following Jesus is about denying yourself, not fulfilling yourself. And I think this is exactly what James is pointing to as he opens this chapter. James is writing to the early church. This is probably the earliest letter in the New Testament, written in about 40 A.D., now, 1940, not 1840, not 1740, 40, okay, long time ago. James is writing to a people, a bunch of Christians scattered all over the region, and he has to remind them that they are a pleasure seeking people and it's corrupting them. Now, here's why this matters. If you're a Christian here today, here's why this matters. James describes this person. Maybe this is you, this is certainly me at times. That was generous. This is certainly me a lot, okay? It's you a lot. Um, James is describing this, it matters because he's describing a person like a walking civil war. You are a walking civil war in one body, a constant internal battle of heart, mind, and soul. You have been forgiven and set free, and now you're a child of God. Yes, I am. I didn't, that's not even in my notes, I just made that one up. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, yet, yet, you give in to temptation and pride thinking you are your own master. Friends, remember your new identity if you're a Christian here this morning. When God looks down on you, he sees the goodness and the righteousness and the perfect person of Jesus Christ. He doesn't see your past, he doesn't see your future sins, he sees Jesus. You've been made new. But now this may raise some objections for you. Right? If, if we're not to be a pleasure-seeking people, that life is pretty dull. I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing. There's a lot of pleasures that I enjoy. If I'm not supposed to enjoy them, I don't know what to do. This life is full of healthy enjoyment, and I think we all understand that. If you were to ask my two-year-old son where he finds his enjoyment these days, he would say one word, jump. Well, that's because we put a trampoline in our backyard. So from the minute he wakes up to the minute he goes to bed, he would like you to be outside jumping with him. That's his enjoyment. Certainly that's not sinful. So it's not like we're to avoid seeking pleasure. But you see, it's, it's seeking the right type of pleasures for the right reasons and the right motivations. So let's look at that a little bit. I'll say a few things about the seeking the right kind of pleasure as a Christian virtue. Here's the first thing about the Christian life, and I want us to always remember this because we get this backwards. The Christian life is not about continual cutting out of the evil. Don't, 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 don't misread me here. Let me, let me finish. It's not about the continual cutting out of evil. It's not always running away from the darkness. It's not always being on guard against sin, but rather it's more about the continual presence of true enjoyment, in his name is Jesus. If you spend your life running from sin, you will be miserable. Should you sin? No. And that's on audio, so you can't lie what I just said. But it's more about embracing Jesus. Because all true pleasures are authored and created and sustained by God. Psalm 24. Read Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything is God's. It's all His. God, the author of all things, included... Things that we enjoy, which brings us pleasure. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 34, 8. Psalm is like a, a poetry book in the middle of your Bible. If you ever want to read it, just go like this. Open to the middle. Oh, darn it. And you're close, okay? <laughs> Psalm 34, eight, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 16. You know You have made known the path of my life, and your presence there is what? Fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And certainly we're not supposed to be cutting out all the pleasures this this world has to offer. Our God is a God of enjoyment and delight. And friends, we know this because there are tacos and avocados and Chick-fil-A. That's how we know God makes pleasures. So why does James address us with this tone? What's he getting at? It is because, although all pleasures come from God, it is within our rebellious nature to take what God has given us for good and twist it into something evil. Never doubt. Friends, never doubt or underestimate the ability to take what God has given you for good and use it for evil. James says real simple, fights, quarrels, anger, yes, even murder, are all the result of our desire to pursue pleasure for all the wrong reasons. Think through this with me. We can all, at this very moment, think of a few people we know and even ourselves who are not joyful. They are not nice. They're not even a little kind. And all those people have one thing in common they are pursuing the pleasures of this world. When you pursue the pleasures of this world, you're pursuing a lie. It will always lie to you, it will always want your destruction. It will never lift you up for good. We have dedicated ourselves to pursuing pleasures because we think it will add significance and meaning to our life. And maybe you're in this position here this morning. Certainly I have done this this past week. I have freaked out or gotten upset because I was pursuing something and I had my life in mind. It's for the wrong reason. Let's say you're here this morning and you're consistently engaged in quarrels and fights. If you're consistently angry or bitter, or both. If you're here this morning and you live in constant regret because of the pleasures you have been pursuing have left you defeated and depressed, you are in the right place because James calls you to end your friendship with the world. He calls you to end your friendship with the world because not only does your friendship with the world lead you to what we would consider a life of darkness, James says your prayers will also go unanswered. That's so what he says there in verse 3. Not only do you have all these problems in your life because you're pursuing the, the wrong things, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. Friends, not all unanswered prayer is bad for you, just so you're aware. You pray and God's like, mm, no. <laughs> so I'm just going to save you from that one right now. No. Not all answered prayer is bad. Some of you are here today waiting on answered prayer and it's not, I don't know this because God told me or some sort of creepy reason like that. I know this because if you're like me, we fall into the trap of asking God to give us things that will eventually destroy us. I have never witnessed God answer my prayer when that prayer was seasoned with pride and selfishness. James lays it on pretty thick in this chapter. He's really good at this. He beats us down but then he Brings us back up again. But within one verse, after this opening, within one verse, he goes from doom and gloom to hope and healing. Because God allows those who are his enemies to become his friends. That's the good news this morning. God gives you what you need to end your relationship with the world and begin a relationship with him. Look at verse 6. But he gives more grace. But he gives more grace grace, but we have been given more grace. I'll keep reading all the way to 10. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, because you're double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep, Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The big idea, if you are a friend with this world, you will remain an enemy of God. That's the big idea. Here's the main point, one main point. God gives to you, God gives to you what he demands of you. Best news in all of the world. God gives to you what he demands of you. There is no other message in the world that actually says, you need something new, and oh, by the way, here it is for free. Every other message in the world says, you need something new, go ahead and earn it, and we'll see how good you are at the end. That's no way to live, my friends. There's no freedom in that. There's no peace in that. The God of the Bible is all-powerful, all-knowing, everlasting, unchanging. He's going to be the same. Always has been the same. At the core of who he is, is good. The word good doesn't exist unless there's God. He is good. He's big. He's powerful. He's the one true God and there is no other. And this God, James says, by the way, he probably thinks he's pretty cool because the son of God was his brother. But this God, he says, will be gracious towards you even when you are his enemy. God will give you what you need even though you are his enemy. Who in here is willing to admit that you've gone and bent over backwards for your enemy? Who do you know has pursued their enemy in order to show them kindness and mercy? Who in here has consistently turned the other cheek and then started a prayer chain for someone that has intentionally hurt you? Lucas has. This is not Normal behavior. This is not our first reaction, friends. This just—that's not it. When someone hurts us, what do we do? We usually want to hurt them back. The Bible says, "For while we will, st- while we were still weak, while we continued to invest in our relationship with the world, although our eyes were blind to the truth of God, and although we loved the darkness and hated the light, although we swore we would never submit to God or give Him our allegiance." At the right time, God sent his son, Jesus, on a rescue mission for us. While we were were being destroyed and drowning in our relationship with the world and determined not to change because of our pride, Christ Jesus died for us. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person. Perhaps maybe someone would die for a good person. And it is true, God will oppose and crush the proud. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, while we still actively opposed him, he sent his son to come and rescue us. He gives more grace. James says your your friendship with the world will lead to destruction. But God has made a way for you to draw near to him. I love that verse in this letter. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You guys want a promise to stake your life on? That's the one. It's not about how much you'll make or where you will live or who you'll marry. That's not the promise you need to be considering. The promise I want you to go home and write on your dashboard or your mirror or put it in your wallet is if I draw near to God, he will draw near to me. The goal of following Jesus is to get God, and that's enough for us. Your friendship with the world will lead you to destruction. But God has made a way for you to draw near to him. Draw near to God, and he promises he will draw near to you. And this should encourage us to know that James is writing this letter to Christians. Right? Because already in our mind we have gone, man, them wicked people outside these walls. When are they going to come to church? All those friends of the world, they drive me nuts. This letter is written to you. It's written to me. Which means, this is big now, which means he actually does understand the temptation to pursue the wrong pleasures. And I think we do as well. Even as a child of God, we're tempted. It is true, God will save anyone. God will buy back anyone. God will welcome anyone who will humble themselves before the cross of Jesus Christ. And he will allow them to receive forgiveness and new life because of that. Because at that moment where you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And it is also true that we will spend the remainder of our days imperfectly following a perfect Savior. Friends, you have dropped the ball this week. You've totally missed the mark in some things. But he gives more grace. Draw near to him and he's going to draw near to you. See, you know you have the message, the gospel, the good news, the Christian message backward, that if you sin, you think you need to flee from God because you're not going to be welcomed into his presence. The Bible is completely opposite. That's yourself telling you the wrong thing. The Bible says he gives you more grace. So in fact, when you miss that mark and drop that ball, you go running towards him. That's what you need. That'll change the entire way you live this week. That the shame, the anxiety, and the fear of what you just did Is gonna remove you from the love of God. That's never going to happen if you have faith and trust in God. It's never going to happen. So let's apply this then. We didn't go verse by verse, we we kinda took it up in two chunks first the problem, then the result. So let's apply this. So if, if, if we're caught up in a friendship with the world, what are we to do? Where is my way out? How do I start to find the light at the end of the tunnel? How does my life change this afternoon? How does it change when I walk out those doors? What happens on Wednesday? I hate Wednesdays, right? What happens on that day? Let's figure it out together. there will be a few things. Here's how we're going to apply this. Number one, identify what pleasures you are pursuing and if you are pursuing them for the right reasons. Identify what pleasures you are pursuing and if you are pursuing them for the right reasons. Here's how you know you're pursuing a pleasure for the wrong reasons. That when it's taken away from you, you flip out. You're angry, you're upset, right? It's like when your five-year-old won't leave you alone, okay? I like my kids, okay? Just give me a minute. But if I pursue my own solitude, my own peace of mind, I don't want to be bothered, and my little five-year-old acts like a five-year-old does, and I get mad at that, and that's my problem, not hers. What pleasures are you pursuing? What things really drive you nuts when they happen? Look at what was taken from you to figure out if it's there for the right reasons or not. Why do you need more money? Is it so you can live and give? Or is it because you think you need more in the bank account, which will give you that piece on your pillow you've been searching for your whole life? Why do you desire to be with that certain someone? Is it because you desire to commit yourselves to them for life? Or is it because you think your only significance is going to be determined by someone else's love? And you're willing to do anything to feel that way parents why are you pushing your kids so hard is it truly for your image because if they're not successful it's a result of your parenting look we're all pretty bad at it okay i mean not all of us my parents are perfect but we're all pretty bad at it only because they're here and i wrote this before they showed up so but why are you pushing your kids so hard? Why does the failure of your child drive you nuts? See, you're pursuing that for your own pleasure, your own glory, not theirs. We can go on and on, but I think I get the, we get the idea. This week I would encourage you to take a spiritual test of sorts to figure out why you're pursuing those certain pleasures in life. Number two, ask God to forgive you for taking what he has made good and using it for selfish gain. I mean, James has one idea for this group of Christians he's writing to. He says, don't become a friend of the world. It will only lead to a darkness of life. It will only lead to quarrels and bitterness and fights. He even says murder. Ask God to forgive you for taking what he has made good and using it for selfish gain. Here's the promise now. The Bible says if we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and he is just to forgive them. means he will if you do, and he has the power to forgive them because of what he has done through his son Jesus on the cross. All that gives God the power to forgive sin. Nowhere on the planet, nowhere in this life is the forgiveness of sin found anywhere besides the cross of Jesus Christ. That is it. Jesus has always been and will ever be the only place where where, uh, sin is forgiven. It's found nowhere else. So number one, identify the pleasures and why you're pursuing them. Ask God to forgive you because he's given you some good things. You've turned them into ultimate things. You've turned them into their own gods. And so you're sacrificing your life for them. Ask him to forgive you for that. Number three, receive God's free gift of forgiveness and grace. Receive God's free gift of forgiveness and grace. For some of you this morning, you've walked in here and you're not in relationship with God. You've been kind of in and out. You're not really sure Today is the day that you can receive God's free gift of forgiveness and grace. The Bible says that when we believe in who Jesus is, and we believe and trust in the work that he accomplished, that he and he alone is the one who can forgive us of our sin and put us on this journey of a new life. In a different part of the Bible, the book called Revelation, it's the very end of your Bible, it's the last letter. It says, Now the salvation and power... Now salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Savior, that's Jesus, has come. It has come. For the accuser, that's Satan, of our brothers has been thrown down. There is one who who has conquered sin and death and all the darkness that plagues your life. There is one who has conquered it. His name is Jesus. And that who we are here to worship today. That is who I'm asking you to be a friend with, not a friend of the world. The world only wants your destruction. God wants to give you new life. So today, last thing I'll tell you, is believe and trust in the power of God to save you. And even right now, some of you are like, "Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's okay. Take your time. But the Bible will always be true that there is one who has come to take your place. He actually... God actually put on flesh to live like you so he knows what you go through. And then he lived the perfect life, the life that you could never live, although God demands perfection. You see how he gives you what he asks of you? He lived the perfect life. And then what he did is he willingly died and gave his life. And that death is the very death you deserve because the debt your sin has occurred. So Jesus is the only one where you're going to find New life. Jesus is the only place where you're going to find grace and forgiveness. So believe and trust in the power of God to save you. So, just as James did to these people so long ago, God does to us this morning. He calls us to end our friendship with the world and start a new relationship with Jesus because He is the only one who can save. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word and the way it challenges us, and encourages us, and corrects us. God, we're thankful that your word has revealed to us your son, ultimately, the one whom you've set to come on a rescue mission to save us. God, even this morning, some of us have made this day about us. It's not. It's about you. It's always about you. We gather to worship you. We gather to give back to you. We gather to learn about you. So God, forgive us for the way we have fallen short this morning. And give us the peace of mind going into this week, knowing that Jesus has paid our debt. Therefore, we are free to leave our old friendship with the world behind, and we are, have been set free to embrace a new life in Jesus Christ today.